28. We'll begin reading in verse number 16. We'll read verse 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, the last part of the gospel of Matthew. Praise God. This is Jesus' commission at the end of Matthew, at the end of every gospel, their final words. And these are some powerful words at the conclusion of his gospel. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You serve a sovereign God. All power is in his hand. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. What is the name of the Father? Praise God. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name. In the name of the Father... And of the Son, what is the name of the Son? Obviously, Jesus is the Son of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And Jesus is Jesus. And of the Holy Ghost, what is the name of the Holy Ghost? Jesus, I'm going to send you another comforter when I am gone. And I am going to fill you with that spirit. That is the spirit of a deceased one. That is the spirit of Jesus. Baptize them in that name, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It's nice to know that Jesus is with you even to the end of the world. Praise God. No matter what happens, he is faithful. And then it concludes with amen. Amen. Praise God. I want to talk to you about uh, some things that are very, very important. I want to talk to you about character, motive, and agenda. These things work together and they fit in this great commission of what we are to be doing, what God has called us to do, and what God has called us to be. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the people of God that have made a divine appointment to be in the house of God tonight. And I pray that your word would strengthen us. Amen. We give to you thanks, and we come to you in the house of God tonight with thanksgiving. In an unthankful world, we come to you with thanksgiving and with praise. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. These three things are, are very, very important, and in this passage of Scripture in Matthew Jesus redeemed and transformed these disciples coming from different occupations and walks of life. And he commanded them to go forth and make disciples from all nations. Matthew chapter 28, that verse number uh, 18 talks about, verse 19 talks about, go ye therefore and teach all nations. There are other translations that translate teach all nations as make disciples. And I like, I think I like that terminology better uh, than just simply teaching. Teaching is one thing, but making a disciple is totally different. You can teach somebody, but if there's no relationship and connection, 
then it's just teaching. Teaching is necessary and needed in the house of God. But if we're going to win people to God, there has to be a connection with them. And so making a disciple means getting out of our comfort zone sometimes, spending time with them, connecting with them, talking with them, praying for them, and seeing God do great things in their life. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a word that is, is, is very significant called work. Amen. It's work. Praise God. But it's the work of God, and there is nothing greater than the work of God. Praise God. Going on T-Rocket routes, bringing Sunday school kids every Sunday morning, trying to corral them, keep them on track, get them into a Sunday school class. All of that is work. It's work. And it's, it's sometimes it's difficult, but it's the work of God. And when you're doing the work of God, you are doing a work that is meaningful and has purpose in it. Amen. And then when some of those same children come to the house of God on a Sunday morning and they come back on a Sunday night and they're right there lifting up their hands, speaking in tongues, it's worth every effort that you put into it. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so God wants us to make disciples. And in order to do that, we have to align ourselves with leadership, with working, with being involved in the work of God, making sure our priorities are right so that we are at the heart of God. I want to be at the heart of God. I want to be in the, in the middle of what God is doing. I know the world sometimes tries to pull us away and distract us and get us to thinking that what is out there is more important than the kingdom of God, but there is nothing greater than the kingdom of God. Pray God. The work of God far surpasses and supersedes anything that the world has to offer. I'm going to preach that. I'm going to teach that. I'm going to live that. I'm going to try to mo motivate other people to that because the world has done people wrong. The devil has cheated people out of great blessings. But thank God, in the house of God, we can recognize there's a purpose and a destiny. We can be involved in it. We can be involved in the work of God. And making disciples is at the heart of what we have read here in the Great Commission. That means trying to have an influence, trying to help people grow, to be passionate about what God is doing in the world. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, are you passionate about the things of God? Praise God. How in the world can you do a work for God if you're not passionate about what God is doing? Well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If you're passionate about what God is doing, it's easy to do the work of God because you're so excited about the God that you serve. And it becomes easy to serve him. Amen. Well, you say that just depends on the person. And we have to have the right skills and the right talents and the right abilities. God does not depend on heroes. He uses smudged and unattractive jars of clay. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord 
Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. You don't have to be perfect to be used of God. You don't have to have the best of everything to be used of God. You just have to have a heart that says, I want to be used in the kingdom of God. God's not looking for heroes. He's looking for somebody that's willing to take a step forward and say, God, I'm going to put myself in your hands. Amen. Praise God. You look at the individuals in Scripture and you will find a lot of them. They were not perfect. They were betrayed. Joseph. They were reluctant. Moses. They were fearful. Gideon. They were overlooked. David. They were burdened. Nehemiah. They were somewhat racist. Peter. <laughs> and yet God said, if you'll allow me to take you from where you are, I'll make you into something and I will use you. Praise God. And so these, these things that we're talking about tonight are interrelated foci of biblical servanthood. Amen. Number one, you have to have character. A person's character is that moral constitution that is embedded in a person's set of values. I want you to know something tonight. I want you to hear me very, very clearly. There is a world that would love to destroy your character. Your character is worth building. It's worth maintaining. It's worth keeping. And the world is trying every opportunity to try to erode at that. Make you think that you're insecure and insignificant. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now because I'm mad at the enemy. Don't do things that are going to destroy your character. It is not worth it, especially to people that you don't even know and don't even care about you. You know who cares about you? The house of God and the people of God. That's why we get around and pray for you. We know you're in a difficult circumstance and environment, but don't give in and don't give up. If you make a mistake, say, I'm not going that direction again. I'm going to live for God. Praise God. Praise God. You have to be very, very careful. Paul knew this. Paul knew this in every opportunity that he had to talk to Titus, who was on the island of Crete, and a people that was very, very interesting. Some would say very difficult to even have revival, and yet Titus is there. Paul instructed him. Timothy a young man in the faith stepping into a Jewish culture and having to face some that looked at him sideways. And Paul recognized even though those environments and circumstances were difficult, he talked to them over and over in his epistles about character. If a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how shall he Take care of the church of God. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride. He falls into condemnation of the devil. He must be somebody that has a good report with them that are within the church and without the church. Lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. He should not be double-tongued. He should not be given to much wine. He should not be greedy of filthy lucre. Praise God. He should hold the faith in pure conscience. 
obedience. He should pursue the office and calling of God. He should not be a slanderer. He should be sober, faithful in all things. All these things have to do with character. And Paul's philosophy of leadership centers on this idea of godly character, not around personality. It's not around great personalities because great personalities fail. It's not about roles and temperament or gifting. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with a set of values and character in the life of an individual that is going to set an example that is Godward. He's going to be a person of faith. It's going to be love. It's manward. He's going to interact with others right. And it's going to be selfward. It's going to be integrity. And if you take these things together, you build a set of values that describe your character. Be very, very careful what you do on social media. Be very careful what you send and you transfer back and forth to people that you don't even know. Look, you may be looking for affirmation, but you're not going to find true affirmation in that. You're going to find true affirmation from a God that died for you, loves you, and, and sees value in you. I don't, I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail here. I don't want to get too far out here, but what, I, what I'm going to say to some of you is going to completely blow your minds. You're not even going to understand how this can even be. There is another world that is a, that is a virtual world. This is why Facebook changed its name from Facebook to Meta. There's a Meta world that is out there that virtually you people purchase stuff, buy art, buy blocks, houses, in places they spend real money for things that are not real at all. It is a virtual world. And they live in the virtual world, and in the physical world, it's something totally separated. The two are separated. And so this has major, major ramifications. I'm, if you want to build a farm and take care of your sheep and your cows over there and do all of that, that's a virtual thing, and, and, that, and you like to spend time doing that, okay, I'm not talking about that. But there are people that are creating an entire existence and an entire identity that's not really who they are. In real life, they're one thing, but over here in a virtual world, they're something completely different. They're a different person. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something. I know that I'm in the world and I'm not of this world, but I want the world that I really, really know, the kingdom of heaven, to come down and touch down in this earth. I don't want to live a world that is not attached to reality. I'm in the world, but heaven is touched down in the world, and another world is helping me in this world. I'm not checking out of this world and trying to find my identity in something that is an illusion and is not even reality. Praise God. Don't get involved in something that is not even real. Recognize there is a power of the kingdom of heaven that comes down into the earth. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, reality, as it is in heaven, meaning 
heaven is coming to earth. Praise God. You know what people want to see in you? They want to see a heavenly minded individual that is in this world, but they're operating as if they're influenced by another world. If the Holy Ghost is on the inside of you, there's some heaven that is touching down at your job, in your relationships, in your connections with people. And that, I believe, is what the world needs. This gets crazy. And Jesus even strikes at the heart of this even before it ever came to be. The Pharisees were so happy because they had not committed adultery. Jesus said, you, if, if you've looked on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So he made it an internal thing. <laughs> and he stripped, he stripped that excuse away from them. So it gets crazy. It gets absolutely crazy. And it impacts and affects the church because there's such a strong social media influence that people will have not, not physical sexual relations, but they'll have virtual sexual relations. In other words, I don't say anything to you. I don't even talk to you. I don't shake your hand. I don't say anything to you. And yet I'll send you stuff and we'll pass that back and forth that is, that, that is mind-boggling. And to think that there are no ramifications or consequences to that. There are. You, you don't even need to be on Snapchat. Somewhere we've got to have some wisdom about what we use and, and don't use. There are tools out there that you can utilize, and there's some just by their very nature. When there is an app that was formed and developed so that whatever you send disappears in 30 seconds or whatever, the basis of that formation is not a godly thing. It's not a godly thing. It's not a godly thing, and it, it will entrap you. Don't do it. You say, well, pastor, you talking to the young people? You would be very surprised. I'm not only talking to the young people. I'm talking to adults as well. Be careful what you're doing. Character means something. Your name means something. Praise God. Hey, listen. Listen to me. There's a world and there's other people in the world that you already have to fight with that want to tear down your character, let alone you doing something that adds fuel to the fire. You need to say, God, let your word be in my heart. I want to have godly character. I want my name protected. I want security. I want your anointing. I want a hedge of protection around me. Praise God. I want to be an individual that has a name that is valued and godly. Praise God. Now, having said that, I need to say this. If you make a mistake, we don't judge you based on the mistake. We, we judge you based on what you do with the mistake. As a matter of fact, I've talked to some of you and you've made mistakes and I've said, you know what you need to do? You need to be in the front. You need to be in the front. 
You made a mistake, be in the front. Who cares what anybody else says? You're trying to protect your character. Praise God. And so an individual that will say, I'll be in the front, I'll be faithful and consistent because I want to do what is right. We don't judge you based on the mistake. There would be none of us in this place if we judge people on their mistakes. We don't judge them on their mistakes. We judge them on how they deal with the mistakes. you got a choice to make. Are you going to keep doing that or are you going to rise to the occasion and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that. Yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> that, that was a mistake. We got some people standing here. Has anybody in here made mistakes? If you've made a mistake, why don't you stand to your feet and acknowledge, you know what, in my life, I've made some huge mistakes. But thank God, there was a pastor and there was a God and there was an anointing that didn't judge me by my mistakes, but helped me overcome the mistakes. Praise God. I don't know if I have the quote right, but I think Brother Brian Grace, the one that told me, Brother Terry used to say something to the effect of everybody's going to walk up fool's hill. Everybody. <laughs> but don't get up there and sit down up there. You got you to <laughs> you, you make some choices. That, okay, I'm not staying there. Now, if you stay there, you're going to put all of us in a compromising position. That is very, very difficult because we'll try to work with you and work with you and work with you. But if you're going to stay up on fool's hill, at some point we're going to have to say, look, you're tearing up the fabric of what we've got going on here. We want to be unified. And if that's what you're going to do over and over and over, then you're going to have to go somewhere else because you, you, you can't keep doing that. Praise God. And the church said, amen. Praise God. Character means something. And the reason why Paul was so uh, charged on this point is because Paul knows in the life of Timothy and Titus that character has staying power. Just because you have talent doesn't mean you have staying power. Just because you have a great personality doesn't mean you have staying power. Praise God. Thank God for, a, for an elder that passed by this way that had in this church. And then thank God for a bishop that came by that had staying power. And we're blessed because of that. And we need to be thankful for that. Maybe they weren't the greatest personalities. From what I understand, Brother Terry didn't have much of a personality. And he didn't go out and he didn't fellowship and he didn't go to restaurants. Even with his own ministry group, he didn't do that. But he had some character. Praise God. Thank God for a bishop that had some character. Maybe he can't sing the best. It's not all about the talents. It's about who you are as a person. And that is what matters. And you know what? People value that. Praise God. And Paul recognized this. Growing in godliness and setting a good example and having integrity has staying power. He said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Have some character, Timothy. Because that proven character in you 
is what is going to build credibility. And, and you're going to have to face some things and difficulties. Paul said in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We glory in those things because we know they are molding us and shaping us. I want, you, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your mistakes, right? I've talked about mistakes and what you do with them. I want you to take your mistakes right now, and I want you to think about this. You would not be the person you are right now if those mistakes were not in your life. Now, I'm not giving anybody an excuse to just go out and make mistakes. Pastor said we could just go make mistakes, and it's good for us. No, you're missing the point. The point is you wouldn't be who you are in terms of your character development if you didn't run into some things that you, you said, you know what, Ooh, full stop. I'm not doing that again. That was a huge mistake, and I'm going to learn from this, and God's going to form me and shape me so that I will be a better person, a more godly person, and then I'm going to be able to minister to people through all of my mistakes. Some people would like to just eradicate, remove, and pluck them out of the fabric that is your life. You can't do that. It's an impossibility. And if you do that, you're not going to be as effective. Every single scar that you've got is an opportunity to testify to somebody about how God brought you through. Praise God. Hallelujah. I may be scarred up. I may be like Jake and I'm walking with the limp, but I've been wrestling with the Lord and the Lord has been molding me and shaping me. Praise God to be utilized in the kingdom. Let me just veer over here in parenting just for a minute. Don't just always take your kid's word for whatever. Parents do this. This is, this is insanity. Don't do that. A lot of times you do that. You jump out there. You take their side. Then you find out you end up with egg on your face because you didn't get the whole story. And sometimes they get involved in stuff. And, and, and the first thing that you want to do is, you, see, my father... He wanted to remove everything that was a problem or a difficulty. And so if there was a problem on the bike, you removed the bike. Uh, because you crashed on the bike. Well, common sense tells us that you're going to crash on a bicycle. And it's very fearful. When you take your child and you grab the back of the bike and the training wheels are not on there anymore. And you take off with them and you have to do what? You got to let it go. And here they're going, wobbling all over the place. And they're, they're doing really, really good until it comes time to stop. And then they don't know how to stop. Boom, hit the curb, over the handlebars. Bam, on their face. What do you do? You don't say, oh, we got to get rid of the bike. That's terrible. No, you know what you do? You go back and you say, man, that was awesome. <laughs> that was cool. Let's try it again. That's what you're supposed to do. It's a, it's a learning moment. Right? Now let's see how we can figure this out so that you won't crash into the curb next time. I climbed up in a tree one time. My father saw me in the tree. I couldn't get down. Sometimes you get up in a tree and you're small and then you get scared. You're too high up there. 
Somebody has to come get you. The next day when I came home from school, the tree was cut down. Can't have a tree there. Okay? Parenting is about experiencing some things in life that you can grow through. Man, one of the greatest examples that you're ever going to get of learning to be like Jesus. You know what it is? Getting married. <laughs> Are you hearing me, Brother Philip and Sister Danette? Getting married is the best way that you... I've had conversations with some of you that just flat out told me after three or six months, I don't think I want to be married. Well, it's too late, so we got to figure out. Uh, you're going to have to figure out how this works. And when you work, it is work. It's hard work, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And some people check out their problems, difficulties, circumstances. <clears throat> Praise God. But you got to work at it. My, my motto is this. Whatever you do, you know what we preach in this church? We preach marriage. We don't preach divorce. We don't advise it. We don't. We preach the ideal of what marriage is, and then there's a reality. So here, here's what I say to people. I'm not going to make that decision for you. I'm not going to advise that. I'm not going to do that. But I'll tell you this. You have to do everything within your power to go to the nth degree so that when you stand before God in judgment, you, you have the ability to say, I did everything I could possibly do. Praise God. I did everything within my power that I could possibly do. These experiences in life are to mold us, shape us, and build character in us. Amen. So th this is why character is important. If we're going to make disciples, we have to have character in our life. <clears throat> and that character and those mistakes and those difficulties and those failures and how we respond to it, we respond to it, give us credibility. They give us credibility. That's, that's what makes you credible. Man, we say this a lot of times. Boy, she has gone through a lot of stuff, but uh, God has been with her. What are we saying by that? There's credibility there. Hasn't been easy. It's been difficult. But God has, has been with that individual. And over the course of time and mistakes and falling down and getting back up, there is proven character that takes place and credibility that comes out because God is molding and shaping and fashioning somebody to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you've had difficulties and problems in your life and God has helped you through them, you need to be thankful that God was there, faithful to you. You've been through situations. You've suffered grief, and disappointment, depression, but somehow God was faithful to you and the the character in you. Some of you were here and then you left, but you came back. We didn't judge you when you came back. We wrapped our arms around you and said, thank God you made it back because some people don't make it back. But you did. But you did. Praise God. Praise God. And the church doesn't discriminate against people like that. 
There are people sitting on this platform that have made mistakes. We don't judge people based on their mistakes. We judge them on how they attack the problem and said, I'm going to make this right. The Holy Ghost is going to help me. I'm going to be used of God and I'm going to testify to somebody about the junk that I found myself in. But God elevated me and picked me out of that. Praise God. I look over at some of you and I, on the platform, I could tell some, some of your mistakes. I love every single one of you. I appreciate every single one of you. None of us are perfect, but thank God for his grace and his mercy. It's what makes us credible. Joseph, I mean, there's so many character examples in the scripture. Joseph was betrayed, slavery, false accusation, in prison for over 13 years before he ever amounted to anything. Moses felt he was ready to lead at 40, but he ended up tending sheep in the desert for 40 more years. 80 before he ever actually started in any kind of servitude. <clears throat> Joshua was an apprentice and he had to watch an entire generation die off during 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. David was anointed by Samuel, but he didn't receive the crown then. It was 15 years as a fugitive trying to escape a madman. And a total of 22 years before he was crowned in an undisputed king of Israel. Nehemiah was broken down, depressed. When he came to Jerusalem, the walls were torn down, burned gates, determined enemies, threats of physical violence, demoralized workforce, internal dissension, grave personal danger. God used him. Daniel was in the lion's den and for his friends, a burning furnace. God used him. Character, character. Peter and John, three years of training and then sifted his wheat, made huge mistakes and difficulties, walked away from Jesus and yet He's still on the day of Pentecost preaching a great message about a new birth experience. Paul spent nearly a decade, 10 years in Arabia and Tarsus before Barnabas rescued him from obscurity and before he did anything in the kingdom of God. Adversity honed these people into vessels of usefulness. It was God's refining tool. No pain, no gain. It takes two weeks for you to know you're doing anything. It takes four weeks for those close to you to know you're doing anything. It takes six weeks for other people to notice you're doing anything. This should not make us fearful. Praise God. This should make us aware of what we need to implement in our lives now. God, take all of my experiences, take all of who I am and mold me and shape me into the man and the woman that you want me to be. Praise God, because that is at the heart of God's business, which is making disciples. You know what I'm still doing? I'm still trying to become a disciple. I may have a leg up a little bit on some because I was raised in this. Praise God. But the moment you came into church, God started making you into a disciple. Praise God and molding and shaping you. This should be our desire. And this should be our hunger. Secondly, you have to have the right motivation for what you're doing. If you're going to make disciples, and we're all called to do that, then there has to be the right motive for what, we do, what we're doing. In the Old Testament, it was a, a motive and a passion 
for, for God's honor. And there were two, two moments in their history. Moses interceded on behalf of the people when they made themselves a golden calf. And he said to God, it's, it's, you, you can't destroy this people because of your name. And you're the one that brought them out with a mighty hand. And so if something happens, it's going to reflect on your honor. And so he interceded on that behalf. In two occasions, he did that. <clears throat> Joshua, at the defeat of Ai, because of Achan, pleaded the same thing. He says, what is going to happen to your great name if you don't have mercy on this people? Praise God. It was defending God's honor. David, when he faced Goliath, he became a man that defended the God of the armies of Israel. And he was a man after God's own heart. Daniel risked his life when he declares to Belshazzar that you have desecrated the sacred vessels of the temple. You have dishonored God. And I'll give my life to stand in front of you and tell you what the interpretation is. You are found wanting. And so in the Old Testament, it was defending God's honor. That was the motivation, defending God's honor. But when you get to the New Testament, Jesus focused on something totally different than defending God's honor. Defending God's honor is kind of something that is an outward experience. I'm defending God and who God is. It's an outward motivation. But in the New Testament, Jesus focused on the interior life, the matters of the heart. And he asked the seminal question, what is your motive? It's not enough to do the right thing or even to have a stable and growing character. But you have to regularly assess why you're doing what you're doing. Are you doing it for self-serving acts to attract praise from peers? Or are you doing it because you have a grateful heart that is attuned to the glory of God? I'm not doing what I'm doing so that I receive accolades from men. I am doing what I'm doing because there is a relationship and a walk with God. And my heart is right. And I want to self-examine myself. It's not enough just to do the work of God without examining yourself. You can do the work of God. You can preach. You can teach. You can be here for prayer. You can do all of that. Man, I'm busy in the work of God and be far from God because your heart's not where it needs to be. And so therefore, it takes the right motivation in the life of an individual, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher. You can teach a Sunday school class up there every Sunday and your heart not be where it needs to be. You got to make sure that my motivation for the work of God is right. And I'm going to examine myself. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God so that I know I'm in the right position and nobody else is going to know that but you nobody's going to know that but you unless you let that go so long until the cracks start appearing and others become aware because it comes out in your actions this is why Jesus said don't stand on the street corner and, and sound a trumpet when you give your offering because your heart's not right. Your actions look good, but your heart is not right. And don't pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets so that people can see you. Make that a personal relationship with God so that your father that sees in secret can reward you openly. So Jesus said you got to check your motives and why you're doing what you're doing. 
Paul looked for a day in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Paul said, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm looking at this, this human experience thing, and I'm looking at all this, and Paul knows because he's in ministry, and he talks about the beasts at Ephesus. He's doing the work of God. But when he looks at somebody, he knows that you, you, you can't see the inward motivations of individuals. And some of his co-workers were the very ones that abandoned him and walked away. And he couldn't see that. He, and he, so he longed for the day when God would judge everything and we would really see what is really real and the hearts of humanity. One of these days, God is going to be the ultimate judge and we're going to see everything clearly. Praise God. But until that day, we have to take personal responsibility for who we are in whatever ministry that we are in to make sure our heart is right and the motivations of our heart are right. Come on, somebody. I need an amen right now. We got to examine ourselves. We got to make sure our heart is right. Praise God. Praise God. Sometimes that means operating as a servant when nobody knows. You're doing things nobody knows, but you're doing it because your heart is right. Comparing yourself to others will mean nothing. Rather, having a holy ambition to seize the day of opportunity to promote the work of God is what becomes important. Amen. So there has to be ruthless honesty. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is why Jesus was also on a, a constant collision course with the Pharisees about the Sabbath, about fasting, about ritual washings, about tithing. There was like this firewall between God and the soul of a person. There were two separate spheres. We got this and then God's over here, but... God can't get through some of the stuff that we have, we have created as a barrier. Instead of that penetrating power of the word and that flow of the spirit into the heart and that penetrating power of his living word into our life that makes us dependent upon it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. His word penetrates into my heart and my spirit. His spirit directs me and helps me understand the deep and dark motivations that I know that other people don't know. This is what's going to prevent a servant from the pitfalls of personal reputation and status and image and popularity and recognition and vocational success as defined by the prevailing culture. Praise God. That's all the stuff of the world. But in the kingdom of God, it is something totally different. It is John that says he must increase and I must decrease. I don't care about my status. I don't care about how many likes I get. What I care about is, is my soul right with God? That means I'm going to stake some things to the cross 
And the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The wellspring of life comes from making sure my heart is right. Praise God. Lastly, and musicians can come. You have to have character. How do we make disciples? How do we become a true servant of Jesus Christ? The great commission is to make disciples. How do we do that? We have to have character, proven character that makes us credible. We have to have the right motivation. Our heart has to be right. And lastly, there has to be an agenda that we put our hand to the plow and we become a servant of the kingdom. God reconciled a fallen human race to himself. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He pulled Abraham from his idolatrous clan and he made him a promise. I'm going to make your descendants as the sand of the seashore and star, stars of the sky. That nation grew into a great nation and testified of the one true living God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Jesus culminated that history and proclaimed the kingdom of God. <clears throat> In Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He committed that legacy of the cross he committed that legacy to 12 men. One betrayed him, and that led to his death. He was born to die. He was rejected by his own. He was vindicated by God through his resurrection. And Paul said in Acts chapter 2 and verse, or Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath bold made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's alive. He was proclaimed by the apostles and the church moves forth in obedience to extend the rule of God. What are we doing? We're extending the rule of God. How significant is that that God would choose you to say, I want you to extend the rule of God. You're in the same company as the apostles. Because the scripture said in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Being a servant, everyone say servant. Amen. Tell your neighbor, you're a servant. Being a servant is not a visionary who devises a brilliant plan and then who by personal charisma draws others to fulfill those ambitions. Nope. Nope, that's not how it works. They are faithful stewards of the divine mandate. Praise God. They fish and feed. They evangelize the lost. They edify the saved. They establish vital churches. They have a razor-sharp focus. 
They are on a mission. I want to ask you here tonight, are you on a mission? It's the mission that you're on. Does it keep you up at night? Are you just too satisfied? God has blessed me and I'm so thankful for that. Or are you part of the mission of God that says, I want to make disciples in whatever shape, form, or fashion. Praise God. It could be a Sunday school teacher. It could be youth ministry. It could be a school. It could be a daycare. It could be Bible studies. But God help me find a mission. I'm lost without it. I have no purpose without it. I have no fulfillment. I'm really, really concerned sometimes we've, we've forgotten the mission of God and we're just happy to show up at church and let somebody else do the work. Listen, God has called every single one of us, every single one of us to go make disciples. Praise God. As we stand together in the house of God, we got to get our hands to the plow. I don't want mission ambiguity, a failure to understand why I exist. I don't want mission drift, a gradual erosion of purpose and boredom. I don't want mission confusion, a failure to understand the message as it pertains to the circumstance. Praise God. I want to preach a new birth experience to a world and let them know. Praise God. Jesus Christ died for you and gave you opportunity to identify in his death through repentance, in his burial through baptism in Jesus' name, and through his resurrection by the infilling and the power of the Holy Ghost. That's our mission. Everything we do is built around that mission of the rule of God going beyond just what he's done for us but reaching out and responding to other people and making disciples praise God go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples praise God let's lift our hands together right now and let's pray that God helps us to make disciples Make me, praise God, make me a, a disciple. Continue to work on me, but God, help me see the larger overarching mission and the work of God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Help us, Lord. See every ministry, every ministry, everything that we do in the house of God, it's pursuing the mission and the work of God and the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, help me to plant.